Some of you here this evening are children, and a lot of you are older. Do you recall as a child ever feeling like you were completely rejected from your parents because you'd been such a bad boy? You probably deserved it, but anyway, you, you felt like, oh man, my parents are just absolutely, oh man, I, I'm in so much trouble. <clears throat> but can we imagine what it's like to be in a position where God rejects us or is so upset with us? Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 48. You wonder sometimes why some things are written in the Bible, <clears throat> but Israel was part of the way God is able to teach us by the things he would say about Israel and how his heart is still there to deliver them. <clears throat> but this is a description of what God was thinking about Israel. Isaiah chapter 48. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. For they call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. <coughs> I've declared the former things from the beginning and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them, I did them suddenly, and they came to pass, because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. I've even from the beginning declared it unto thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it to thee, lest thou shouldest say, Mine idol hath done them, or my graven image, and my molten image hath commanded them. Thou hast heard. See all this, and will not ye declare it? I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, and thou didst not know them. They are created now, and not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not, lest thou shouldest say, Behold, I knew them. Yea, thou heardest, them not, thou heardest not. Yea, thou knewest not. Yea, from that time that thine ear was not opened, for I knew that thou wouldest deal very treacherously and was called a transgressor from the womb. For my name's sake will I defer mine anger, and for my praise will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, I also am the last. Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. All ye assemble yourselves and hear, which among them hath declared these things. The Lord hath loved him. He will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be on the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken, yea, I have called him. I have brought him. 
and he shall make his way prosperous. Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, and from the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the ways of the sea. Thy seed also had been as the sand, and the offspring of thy bowels like the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Go ye forth of Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing declare ye, Tell this, utter it unto the end of the earth, say ye. The Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. And they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Our brother asked for that to be read here this evening as introduction to the message. We, have, we are just especially glad that uh, Brother Rodney and his wife Laurel and their children are with us this week. And we just want to uphold them in prayer and, and in the Holy Spirit to bless them as they bring the, the thoughts of the Word of God out here this evening. So let's go to prayer together. Oh, holy God, our Father, our Father that's in heaven, but also we know that you are promised and you are, have delivered yourself right into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank you that we can call out to you at any moment, and especially at this moment, to come as we gather together to take a few minutes out of our day to come here because we are interested in what you have to say. We have your word and we have your spirit. And you give us the opportunity to preach. And we just thank you that Brother Rodney is here to open up your word and to, and to explain and to teach and to talk about the things that are in the heart of God. Oh, Father, we want to be seekers of your heart. We do feel so many times like, just like little bad boys. And we need your correction. And we need your direction. And we need your spirit to show us the way. Father, we thank you that you are here tonight with us to explain and to illuminate your word through our brother. We thank you, Father, for your uh, presence in the life of each family that's here. We thank you that for each heart that has come. And we know that, that there are special needs and special uh, pressures and traumas that occur in people's lives. And Father, we just pray that something here this evening can speak into those hard spots in our lives. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, and we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's have a song, and then Brother Rodney will lead the evening.
evening. It's a blessing to be back and welcome all of you to the house of the Lord this evening. Glad to have a few visitors and those that are here to open the word of God. And, and I, know that, I know that you knew that I was coming, but ultimately when I stand up here, that we're, just, we're trying to just lift the thoughts out of the scriptures and off the page to you that I, I see excitement in your eyes for the word of God, and that's exciting. That's exciting. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 130 as the slide on the projector would allude to. We're going to be in this psalm in, in some sense or another this week. And the intention of, of dealing with this psalm, of course, is because I think it's amazing. But more than that is I, I want to kind of weight each of these verses, and we're using these verses as a, a platform and really to kind of direct our thoughts. So last evening, those that were not here, we kind of we opened this up in, in a, a way of, of expository uh, leaning into the scripture and, and just took the context of, of what this psalm is speaking about, its entirety. And tonight, I want to deal with the first two verses primarily and kind of dig a little deeper in, in relatability of, of what those might look like to us and those that are in the depths, those would be crying out to the Lord. But before we do that, I want to just read these eight verses uh, together as they're before us. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice, and let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, and my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. As it was mentioned yesterday, this is a psalm of sense. And contextually that means this would have been a pilgrim song, as was sung as they made their way on a holy day, a high day, to the temple. But I think that that idea of song of degrees or whatever is progressively also in my mind a visual representation of going from the depths, the lowest of the low, to the highest of highs. Being in the depths of sin, the mire of sin, and the being redeemed, as the 8th verse says, he shall redeem Israel from all of his iniquities, being clean and having peace with God. So progressively, that's kind of the context in where we're going to be going this week, but hopefully every night the gospel will be in a measure being brought forward to you. The challenge in dealing with the depths or out of the depths is thinking of it in a way that, that we understand how it meets us, and how it feels, the, that weight, the burden of sin. And I think that everyone here that has named the name of Christ there's probably not a whole lot of exposition that needs to be done regarding that. Because at some point, the Spirit spoke into your life, into your heart, and you were pricked in your conscience, 
And you're made aware of your great measure of sin and how you needed a great Savior to secure your life, keep you from falling into hell. And so I don't know that that needs to be articulated as much as just the general tenor of being in the depths of despair when sin is present, even after accepting Christ. And some of this will maybe seem like review from last evening, and that's fine. We're going to hit these concepts again and again. But as I, as I look in, in my life and, and my view of, of understanding Christianity, one of the challenges that I think that myself and I would say that many of you maybe had at, at some point in your life was you looked around in the church, and I'm going to say in general, not necessarily cornerstone, and you saw spiritual giants, and you saw your parents, you saw your grandparents, you saw your pastors, your friends, your teachers. And you saw how they had accepted and embraced Christ, and by appearances were walking a Christ-like and a righteous life, and praise God. The challenge, though, is observing these things from the outside, is we think many times that after accepting Christ that the struggles are over, the fight is done. Ready to go home. And to be honest, it's often much different than that. It is different than that. Because that's really when the battle begins. Because you were a slave to sin, but now you've been freed from sin and the, the carnality and the flesh, and you're fighting against the very thing that had held you in bondage. And that battle is hard many times. And the things that you were used to doing, you now find yourself doing, and you hate it, and you despise it, you want to be freed from it. You're ensnared by it many times, in thoughts, and deeds, and just being in it in general. And so that, there is a battle, there is that sense in which those of you looking on, you don't see what goes on behind closed doors with the prayers and the weeping of brothers and sisters that have found themselves in sin and needing to be forgiven. Those are the things that you don't see, you youth, my age, others, that happens in a Christian's life that's necessary for relationship with Christ. With all of that, there's these challenges in our minds, a battle in our minds between us and ourselves of this turmoil between have this sin what do we do with it? Reasons why I would even call on God, and I expressed that a little bit last night, just in, in why would I come to God so that he's so holy, he's so righteous, and I'm so unjust, I'm so undeserving, I'm so full of sin and, and iniquity, and why would God receive me? These are the challenges that we're met with. And so as we, as we are coming out of the depths we have this phrase here that says, I have cried unto thee, O Lord. And, and positionally, not just being in the depths and being consumed by the weight and the pressure and the feeling of sin, but we have this phrase, have I cried unto thee, O Lord, and that's a good place to be. Just like we saw in Psalm 88 last evening, 
where he says, O God of my salvation. So immediately we see the psalmist here, and hopefully you, if you're in that place, where you can cry unto God. But you may have, you might have questions even now. Maybe you're in a place that seems pretty despairing and you're like, why would I cry unto God? Just practically. If, I, if I'm looking at this from a, a how does this work out? How, why? What are reasons that I would do this? I want to take you just briefly to, to Psalm 32. And I just, I want to, it's not really my slides, but I had this in my mind um, before I came here and you're welcome to turn there. Pretty well-known psalm of David. <clears throat> Paul uses the beginning of this in his rhetoric in Romans for justification by faith apart from the works of the law. And blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. And no doubt that would sound pretty promising to someone if you could receive that, if you were in sin. So really, to, to stand back, and I don't want to lose you, I hope that my thoughts are not scattered, and I pray for clarity for me tonight as I bring this portion of the text to you. But there's really two things that I see that I'm speaking, uh, or I should say people or, or types that I'm speaking to tonight, and that's those that have not yet received Christ that are still in their sin, and those that are in Christ that are despairing in their sin, if that makes sense. Because what we find here with this beginning is, is we're, we're dealing with the blessings of a man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And then we, we, we just, that's just, the, that's just the front end of the blessings that we know that we find in a Redeemer in Christ, right? But then David recounts in the third verse, and in, in Remember back just a few minutes ago when I said we're, we're seeking reasons why we would cry out. Why we would even come to God if we were in our sin. Practical reasons. Working. David says when I kept silence, meaning he wasn't letting anyone know, especially God, of this sin. His bones waxed old through his, my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned to the drought of summer. David was dying inside because of his sin. It wasn't external. It wasn't enemies this time. This was not treachery or foreign forces. This was an internal sin killing him slowly from inside. For day and night, God's hand was heavy upon him. His moisture has turned into the drought of summer. He felt like he was dying inside. Verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And if you don't get anything else, if, if you get lost in my slides, if you get lost in a lot of things that I say tonight, I mean this in, in all 
the truth that I want to proclaim here is verse 6 says, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. And I alluded to that thought last evening in looking at Psalm 130 and not truly knowing that if this psalmist had been delivered out of, out of his troubles, out of the, the situation that was around, had he truly experienced forgiveness from God. But it seems, as, as David is saying here, he's using, using that, that word picture of in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. That this man that is praying to God and asking for his iniquities to be forgiven, he's, not going to, he's no longer going to be drowning in this, this feeling of heaviness and, and the great weight. Because he goes on and he says, Thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble, thou shalt compass me about with the songs of deliverance. You see joy coming into this man's life, King David. So it could be just the simple fact of I'm crying out to the Lord because I want to be delivered from my sin. And that's good enough. And I think at the most elementary level, children level, until we die, that's, that's probably pretty well understood. We understand what it's like to have committed iniquity or sin against even when we're young, against our brother or sister or mom and dad, not told the truth, kept a lie, stolen something, done something that we know is wrong and, and how it feels to hold that inside. If we have any conscience at all, that's hard. We know that feeling. <clears throat> I'm going to suggest... Three primary reasons, in addition and comprising what we already spoke about, that I believe that we would cry unto the Lord. And this is very, very key, because I, I think the, the problem that when, when folks are in sin, is we don't think right. We don't think right at all, if we're honest with ourselves. And this isn't really an aside, it's really to the point of not thinking right. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Most Christians, if, if they're caught in sin, any type of sin, whether you catch yourself or someone else, it's very easy to hear, even non-Christians say this, well, I wasn't thinking. I, I just wasn't thinking. And a lot of times that gets a pass. Because we're like, yeah, I get that. That was pretty, pretty, pretty dumb, pretty ignorant. The challenge is, if we're honest with ourselves, there was a lot of thinking going on. There was a lot of rationalization. There was a lot of believing this lie and believing this lie and believing this lie to accomplish this end. There was a lot of thinking going on. So we're not thinking rightly. It wasn't that we weren't thinking. We're not thinking rightly. So when I want to give reasons, I'm hoping that if there's one person in this room that isn't thinking rightly, that these reasons will help you understand that makes sense. I can logically see that. And we're going to start backing down and seeing why I need to cry into God in my sin. These are things we can't do for ourselves. 
God is the only one that can restore our soul. We can't do it. It's not up to us. There's only one life giver. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Probably didn't misquoted that. But he came to give us life and life more abundantly. That's the offer of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. That restoring of the soul. That giving of peace and joy and, and life-giving spirit. We know what that's like. The abundant life. Him leading us into righteous paths or ways. We so many times, if we didn't have anyone to shepherd us, we're like sheep that have gone astray. Every man to his own way. We know that. We're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That's a true story. It's a, it's a true experience of, of us. So we need someone that can lead us into righteous paths. And lastly, tied in with what we saw in Psalm 32, there's only one, and he's the lawgiver, and he's our justifier that can blot out our transgressions. There may be other reasons that you can think of, but these are three primary reasons why we would cry unto God because these are things we cannot do for ourselves. Okay? We're called to repent. God is not going to repent for us. I don't know how you see that in, in your theology, but that has been something that God has commanded his people to turn and repent. Turn from your iniquities. Turn from your wicked ways. Seek me. Isaiah would, it said in, in Isaiah 48, seek him while, the, while he is near. Take you to a very common psalm. Psalm 23. Never despise the simple text like Psalm 23 and John 3.16. There's a reason they become popular. Don't become so short-sighted because of the familiarity that you become jaded to the truths that are in there. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. We have this promise of God restoring my soul. And we see our shepherd leading us in the paths of righteousness. You go over to Isaiah 43, 25. It says, I, even I, am the one that blotteth out thy transgressions. And that slide just went a little further. But you have these concepts in the Old Testament. We have these that are put before us. But when we look at this and say, you've just given me reasons why I would cry out to God, why I would, why I would cry out to God, we run into another problem. Because the second verse says, Lord, hear my voice and let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Just making sure our slides are coordinated here. Here's the thing. I can give reasons and the scripture can give reasons all day long is why you should cry unto God. But we have another conundrum, I think, and because I felt it. So if just for me, I know experientially it says, Lord, hear my voice and let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. So we cry unto God. We have reasons to bring our sin and iniquity to God. 
But what reason do we have to trust that he will hear our prayer? Right? How is he going to hear my voice? How is he going to hear my cries unto him when I'm in the pit of despair? And those of you know how that crushing sin feels to be there in, in, in the, the silence, as, as David says, when he kept silence, my groans waxed old through my roaring all the day long for day and night. My hand was heavy upon me. Thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. What makes us feel that that's going to be any different when we cry unto God and he is going to hear our voice? The challenge that we have is when you have, when you have seen your sin truly as God has seen it, as the scriptures portrayed it in the scripture, and the spirit is leading you into repentance, the challenge you're going to battle is, why would God hear me and my iniquity, my wicked heart? I'm scum. How can I approach such a holy God? So that's the, that's the challenge that I see in the second verse. So keeping that in mind, I want to kind of walk through some thoughts of why God would hear my voice and also, of course, your voice. Psalm 23, 3 says, He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. We have this end of this phrase that says, for his namesake. Don't, that, don't let that be lost in your ears he restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. For thy namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Start to see a recurring thought here. Isaiah 43 again. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. For thy namesake, for thy namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted, and I will not give my glory unto another. We're going to stop here. This was right from our text in Psalm 48. I'm sorry, Isaiah 48. challenge that I have preaching this message is twofold. One, trying to bring what I want to express and what I put in my slides. Struggled with that a little bit today. The other thing is, I had preached a very similar message to this in Chambersburg a number of years ago. And afterwards, after the meeting, I had a young girl, probably either one of my daughter's age afterwards, came to me, which took a lot of courage, I might add. And she said, so you're telling me that God forgave me for himself, for his namesake? She wasn't real happy with the message. Because all her life she had been taught that God loved her. And I said, I'm not saying that God doesn't love you. Okay. And understand that these truths, especially ministers like myself, that we like to push these thoughts that seem very prevalent 
in these times. And the reason that I'm pushing this is because I understand when you're in the middle of sin, you've been told God loves you your whole life, but you don't feel very loved. You don't feel very lovable. You don't feel like God could love you. So even though you might know that or think that that is true, it doesn't impress you because of your emotions. So we've got to move outside of that, and I'm wanting to hit this at a different angle. The other challenge that I had, and I had somebody later come up and say, well, have you listened to John Piper some? And apparently Piper has went this angle too, so at least I'm not in too bad of company. But to me, this, this is a, a way of logically opening this idea up. Of if we're going to come to God and we have reasons for God to deliver us from our sin, our iniquity, it makes sense to us. But then our barrier to entrance again is why, if we're so unlovable, if we're so unworthy, why would God hear our cry, much less answer our plea before him? And so there again, we're kind of sidestepping a huge element which is God's love towards us, as we expressed yesterday. But it appears, as we see here in Isaiah, and if you look in your text, verse 9, he says, For my namesake will I defer mine anger, and for my praise I will refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. And he's speaking to the, the nation of Israel. But we find these concepts in the New Testament as well. He says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver in the tenth verse. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction in this eleventh verse for mine own sake. Even for mine own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory to another. This concept of God doing this for his his namesake is not an Old Testament principle. I really kind of hate to do that because... It becomes very dividing God's work and God's way. We find in 1 John 2, he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. We also find in Matthew 10, and ye shall be hated. This is Jesus' words of all men for my namesake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So there's this concept of, of God doing and, and this operation being happening because of God's own name. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake. And so when we're coming before God and we want to be delivered, I'm holding this before you because if this is about God's name at stake, you can be rest assured that his name, if it's on the line... There's a reason behind it. There's a reason that's going to affect our prayers as we come before God. And as we see this, he says, For my own sake, even for my own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? You see how that is. For how should my name be polluted? And this thought, I think, is, is one of the things that has comforted me over the years. Because when I recognize sin in my life, and I've... If I come to a most despairing place, and I, I hope that you don't think that I'm depressed all the time and that I live in this psalm, I don't. But I have reasoned with myself on this very premise. 
God, deliver me to make your name great. You've promised to save me and secure me. And I know that you're sovereign and I know that you can. I know that your spirit can. I know that you're able. I'm unable. I'm unable to, as I mentioned before, to restore my own soul, to lift myself up by my own bootstraps. God, how can I lead these people? How can I lead my family when I'm in sin? We want God to look good. We don't want the people of God to be full of sin and iniquity, be evil spoken of. And you know how that looks. You know how it feels even for you if you open up Fox News or a local news uh, page and you see that such and so happened at a local church. There's been church divisions where even in our, our own county where uh, a man, a pastor, was counseling a young woman. I don't know the details. They fell in love and the whole church divided. Split. How does that look? How is God's name upheld and not polluted in a circumstance like that? God's reputation is being upheld by the people of God many times. Just like we see in Isaiah, in Exodus. We're his ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ. As we go out, we don't want to pollute God's name by the sin and mar his holy name. This is a real thing. And he says, for how should my name be polluted? And he says, and I will not give my glory unto another. As I see this, I, I see God saying, I'm not going to allow one person to step in and represent me in redeeming. I'm not going to allow Alcoholics Anonymous to do it. I'm not going to allow the health and wealth gospel to cloud my reputation. I'm not going to allow money to ruin my reputation. I'm going to be the one that redeems. I'm going to be the one that receives the glory, that I'm going to receive the honor. I'm not going to give my glory to another. So many times when people are in sin and they turn to something else other than God, to be saved. And you know that's the thing that I, that I think so many times. As I, as I step out of, of my Christian mindset. And as, as I consider how hard we often are on people. That, that go to, to uh, the, the, the strip clubs and the bars. And, and to the casinos. And we're like how could they do that? I'll tell you why. Because they're seeking happiness. They're seeking something. They're seeking satisfaction. They're seeking joy. They're seeking something that we have. They're seeking something that we want too. We want pleasure and we want satisfaction. The difference is we've found it in Christ. And so I think you need to be a little sympathetic. I think we need to have the view that is... In Ephesians 2. And let's just go there for a minute. While we're on that subject. To the point. Common verse and familiar as well. Uh, to many. 
Paul writes, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There's a common denominator, and that's really where we started in, in Psalm 130, is out of the depths. The depths of, the sin, of sin and despair is the deadness of dead. Anyone outside of Christ, there's no life there. There's no hope. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2 of that very thing, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I think it's appropriate that we keep that in our mind as, as, we, as we think about sin, as we think about what God has done in redeeming us. Fascinating thing is when we think about God's glory relating to us, His redeeming us is such a marvelous thought. I, I want to take us to Ezekiel 16 too. I know I'm throwing some, a lot of things right here at the end. I think this, this helps maybe circle around this idea of taking it from God's namesake, God deferring his anger, holding his wrath back, and doing it for his reputation, that his name wouldn't be polluted, and then concurrently with that, bringing in God's extraordinary love and showing those two kind of come together. And this is kind of a very strange, it's a strange story. But the, the, this prophecy of, of Ezekiel says here, and, and again, and this is speaking of, of course, towards Jerusalem and, and, and the Israelites. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity is a land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, and thy mother was a Hittite. It's a very peculiar wordage, and some of you probably can articulate this better than myself. I always realize I'm treading in dangerous ground when I'm passages I'm not familiar with. But what I recognize here is, on, on the very appearance of this verse in the third verse, we know that Abraham came out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He was a Chaldean and so was Sarai or Sarah. What we find here is, is really what I see the equivalent of Jesus saying, thy father is of the devil. He's saying you are just like the people around you in your sin. And as for thy nativity, in the fourth verse, in the day that thou wast born, and this, we get this graphic picture here, and he says, and thou wast born, thy navel was not cut. So still have the umbilical cord, likely the placenta in this picture. Neither was thou washed in water to supple thee, thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. 
None I pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of, the, of thy person in the day that thou wast born. So we basically, we have a picture of a child as an infant being aborted, being left for dead. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. And yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. And I caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great, and thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned, and thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. So now this, this child, this infant in, in Israel has grown up, and, and there's beauty, there's comeliness here. And, and they're, it's, a, it's a full, fully cleansed and, and it says waxen great. Come to excellent ornaments. Their breasts are fashioned, the hair. So we have this adorned, beautiful woman. And he says in verse 8, And when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was of love, and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. God took upon him to, out of his compassion, to take the most uncomely, degenerate, no one unloved, but out of God's love, he chose to do this. And then washed thee with water, and I washed away thy blood from thee, and anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with broidery work, and shod thee with badger skin. And I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. I decked thee also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon thy hands, and I put a chain on thy neck, and I put a jewel on thy forehead, and earrings in thine ear, and a beautiful crown upon thine head. And thou wast decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment was of fine linen and silk and embroidered work. Thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful, and thou didst prosper into a kingdom. And thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord God. You see, we have this picture, and I don't think that we need to transfer it too far because we see it replete in, in the epistles, this righteousness that was not our own, that was placed upon us. Somebody that was dejected and that was doomed to die. And so if there's any glory to give God, and when we are righteousness is, is seen as, as a noonday, and it's glorious, and people are beholding it, it's not of us. I think we forget that so many times. And so that when we're in sin, and we need to be washed, and we need to be cleansed, and we need to be sanctified, it's not just for our own sake. It's for God's glory he says, I will not give my glory to another. So why would God hear our voice? We've had reasons to cry unto him. But the reason that God would hear our voice is one reason. That's God's glory. God's glory is at stake in all of this relating to us. To me, I get great satisfaction when I look in the pages of Scripture and I see Time and time again, and I would say if you have a Bible software program, just type in namesake or name, and you're going to see this come up time and time again. This is not just a minister standing up here and say that God is saving us for his name, for his name to be great. It is that so much, and it gives me confidence because when I know that I've been in sin and I feel unloved and unlovable, and I look at this and I'm saying if this thing is bigger than me, 
And he that began a good work in me will complete it unto the end. I take great satisfaction that God is going to do it because his reputation is on the line. And brothers and sisters, that gives me a great sense of security and peace in my heart. Because if God says he's going to do it for himself, you'd better believe he's going to do it for himself. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. My prayer is that if you read that, that you know without a doubt that God is going to answer your prayers for redemption. He'll redeem you out of your sin. He did it when he brought you, when he first brought you. And I want to say this again. But the same faith that brought you to Christ is the same faith that brings you home. You're looking forward. You're looking at the ability of God's love and God's power, God's reputation, ultimately God's glory in saving you. Being sealed by the Holy Spirit to bring you home. We're looking forward to God doing that which he's promised. This is trusting his word. And then we see this later in the psalm. What shall we sing?